The Christmas crash of 2018 was a really important case study that up until now has been pretty much forgotten, and even when it was happening probably didn't get as much attention as it should. So, what was the Christmas crash? What caused it? And why did everything pretty much go straight back to normal immediately after the new year? Now the first big thing to note here is that stock markets and the economy are of course related. They have heavy impacts on one another, but they are not the same thing. This isn't an economic recession. This is a stock chart going downward. An economic recession is two consecutive quarters of negative growth within a national economy that just happens to almost always have one of these coming along with it. Now, this is important to know for a few reasons that I will get into later in the video. So, that out of the way, the first thing to know is that global stock markets, and particularly American stock markets, have been on a bit of a winning streak for the past decade or so. Since the subprime mortgage crisis and the ensuing recession in 2008, the stock market has quadrupled in value, which is well beyond regular expectation. Normally people assume that market returns from a well-diversified blue-chip stock portfolio is roughly between 7% and 8% annually. Now, due to the marvels of compound interest, a 7% return would mean that you could expect to double your investment every 10 years, which is pretty phenomenal in among itself. But, as of the end of 2018, the S&P 500 had returned close to 21% annual returns over the last 10 years. Now, this is of course cherry-picking data from the bottom of the stock market in 2008 over a good 10-year period, but whatever way you put it, these are still extremely good returns. Now, nobody knows the true reason for this fantastic performance. Not me, not the president, not Santa Claus. Anybody that says that they truly understand and can predict market returns is either a conman, a dummy, or some terrible combination of both. But there are things that can be attributed to this. Firstly, the past 10 years have been a fantastic time for innovation. Think of major companies like Amazon, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tesla. All of these are household names now that have more or less taken off in the past 10 years. This is a result of an increasing adaptation of technology into our lives. 10 years ago, the first iPhone was launched. This opened up our day-to-day -day activities to be increasingly intertwined with the phone that we carry around with us everywhere that we go, and gave rise to these technology companies. All of the biggest companies in America now are technology companies, and this is great as it employs high-skilled individuals like coders and developers, but more importantly than that, technology companies are really fantastic to investors for a few reasons. They can grow and scale much, much faster than manufacturing or services companies, but also they tend to have very low marginal costs. In business, there are two types of costs, fixed and variable costs. To keep things simple, let's take an ice cream shop. Now, fixed costs would be the things that the business has to pay regardless of how many customers they get. Things like rent on the shop front and utility bills to keep lights and refrigerators running. Now, variable costs are dependent on how many customers this ice cream shop gets. The more ice cream they sell, the more they're going to have to pay for things like napkins, ingredients, and even more staffing potentially to keep up with customer demand. And these are all variable costs. Now, all of these companies, Facebook, Amazon, Twitter, etc., have really, really low variable costs. Sure, Facebook has invested billions of dollars worldwide into their server infrastructure, but it costs Facebook basically nothing to sign up an extra user. This means that their fixed costs are high, but for technology companies, their variable costs are really, really low. This makes them really attractive investment prospects because investors will be able to see, oh, if this company gets the funding it needs to build its basic infrastructure, its growth potential is pretty much limitless beyond that. This new wave of tech companies has by no means been the sole driver of the stock market's historic rise over the past 10 years, but it did contribute towards it, and it has also made investors a little bit uneasy. 
There was definitely money to be made and a lot of these companies were producing things that we use every day to add value to our lives. But a lot of these companies didn't even turn a profit. A lot of these companies didn't even have plans to turn a profit in the immediate future. They just planned on growing, running at a loss, and using investor money to fuel this growth until such a point that they owned an entire market and could turn around and charge whatever they wanted. This new wave approach towards business growth, combined with the memory of the tech bubble collapse of the early 2000s, stuck in people's mind. And it has been reported that many individuals see these kinds of stock portfolios more like betting on a winning horse rather than building up a collection of stable and productive businesses into a well-rounded portfolio. Now this alone could have made people jump in enough to cause a massive price drop like the one that we saw in December of 2018. But there was more going on, which leads us to our next big consideration. Stock markets like the New York Stock Exchange, the NASDAQ and even worldwide markets have always been built on the premise that they are effective ways for companies to trade ownership of their company with the public in order to raise capital that they need to grow the business and make everybody involved wealthier. Now this is great, but this accessibility has really peaked in line with technology entering the marketplace. We have already explored how high frequency trading algorithms have taken over many markets around the world, but technology is also pushing control into the hands of individual investors. Not long ago, if you wanted to invest into stocks, you would have to call or visit your stockbroker and get them to call their trader and then you would have to wait a week or so for a trade confirmation from an associate of the brokerage firm. If you wanted to check the price of your stocks, you would have to wait for statements to be provided at the end of the month or simply just watch the news at the end of the day. All of this was costly. Every phone call, every letter, every inquiry normally had a fee associated with it because it took time of a real human financial professional to conduct this business. This made stock investing quite expensive and not really worth your time unless you were dealing with larger sums of money. These days, investing into stocks is a far more straightforward affair. It can be as simple as downloading and verifying something like a Robinhood app, throwing the $100 your mum gave you for Christmas onto the app, and then you're off to trading. The same thing is true for monitoring a portfolio. If you wanted to know the price of a stock in real time today, it's as easy as Googling it. This is all well and good, but it also means things can happen a lot faster than they would have in the past. And you also have entities trading more of gut feeling rather than rigorous strategies that institutions or more professional investors may subscribe to. Which brings us on to the third point. A lot of people have it in their head that it is just time for a recession. Tide comes in, tide goes out, economies rise and markets fall. But for the most part, we can actually explain these things pretty easily. This is the business cycle. The common understanding is that economies tend to grow over time, which is true. The USA, for example, is a far wealthier place today than it was even at the turn of the millennia. This is because technology improves. We find and develop new and creative industries, which allows us to produce more, earn more, and consume more, generally making everybody involved wealthier. This is not a flawless procedure though, and there are of course up and downs caused by debt. Let's look at this on an individual level. Let's say you are working your job and things have been going pretty well. You have passed your probation and you have been able to save up a little bit of money that you want to use towards the purchase of your first home. Cool. So, you are going to go out and take out a home loan and purchase a new house. And then you are paying off your loan and building equity in your home and feeling good about yourself. So, you go out and buy a new car and then take out a credit card to buy some new furniture for your new house, etc, etc. What this is doing is artificially increasing your consumption beyond what your income actually is. Now, an individual doing this doesn't really matter, but when things are going well and everybody feels safe in their jobs, people tend to live beyond their means and borrow up money to consume. Short term, this is actually really great for an economy. 
It boosts consumer spending, which is a major part of GDP calculations, and hence, growth calculations. But two years down the road, let's say our individual is still in the same role, paying down his home loan, but now also paying down his car loan and credit card. He might pass up on going out to dinner or going on holidays because debt repayments are taking up a larger and larger proportion of his income at the end of the month. Now again, for an individual, this happens all the time. But when the aggregate of individuals in an economy experience the same thing, this causes an economic downturn. Now these sorts of downturns have become surprisingly cyclical, to the point where people start to expect them every 5 to 10 years. Even today, the common consensus is that we are due or overdue for a recession soon. Almost like it is something that we have marked in our calendars and are now just counting down the days because it is impossible to go more than 10 years without going into recession. Which is of course, not true. But it does mean that a lot of people were left in anticipation for this collapse. In December of 2018, there were a lot of people that were both riding the stock market to the highest point it had ever been in history, while simultaneously expecting that surely this party must be coming to an end soon. Now, regular channel viewers will know that stability and confidence is the foundation of any good economic system. This increased liquidity and ease of doing business in the markets have made them more volatile. And above all, the consensus that the market is bound for a crash, mixed with concerns over trade wars and increasingly variable companies with poor basic indicators, meant that people didn't have as much confidence in the market as they probably should have. This all culminated in a mass sell-off, causing prices to fall, making people panic, and then causing a sell-off. The Christmas crash all came to an end pretty early in the new year, and the markets have since bounced back and are again at their highest point ever in history. The Christmas crash of 2018 was not a crash caused by fundamental finance issues. There were no subprime bonds that failed or some speculative bubble that popped. It was just a crisis of confidence. When good retail figures were released a week later, pretty much everyone stopped panicking and it was pretty much business as usual. Will this happen again? Well, yeah, probably. We are dealing with markets and economies that are increasingly speculative rather than values based on genuine indicators. And the thing with speculation is that sometimes it is just plain wrong. The year and the decade is coming to an end. In this time, the team at Economics Explained has made many videos covering many issues, which involves countless hours of research, writing, and editing. But we are only human and mistakes were made. In our next video, we will be exploring all of the mistakes made by myself and the team that you have called us out on, and we will be working to set the record straight. Otherwise, I hope you all had a great Christmas and ate lots of food and gotten fat like I did. A quick shout out to our new patron over on Patreon. Thank you for your support. If you guys have any questions, as always, I will be live streaming the Q&A session of the video over on our second channel, so either head on over there or join us on our Discord server to discuss. Otherwise, I do my very best to reply to any serious comment in the comment section below. Thanks guys, bye.